0: Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On this episode of Spilling Buckets, I am joined by Naod Mahari for some hardcore hoop talk. Some may know Naod from NMZ Hoops. I was actually introduced to his impressive NBA acumen in a clubhouse room. Enjoy as the two of us dive into a number of relevant NBA topics. I'm here with Nao and Mahari, um, looking forward to having you. actually uh, found you on Clubhouse and saw that uh, you've done some stuff with NMZ hoops, which I believe you created. Um, if you can just yeah, start off talk about NMZ hoops and how that began and uh, what you're trying to do with that.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, so I'm in Seattle. obviously we don't have an NBA team here, but there, you know there's a group of people out here who really love NBA basketball and you know they follow the league closely. Um, I've always felt like if you're looking for the most unbiased fans now in the NBA, you just head up to Seattle because a lot of us watch basketball, you know, for the purity of it. Obviously, we don't have a team to root for up here. The Stormer, you know, the Stormer great in the WNBA, but uh, we're still waiting for expansion. So, you know, me and my buddies, uh, we always talk basketball and I've contributed on a couple of their podcasts as well. And NMZ Hoops, um, it is on pause right now, but I've made some some videos uh, up on YouTube. I have a Twitter account. I'm on Instagram as well. And it's just a way for me to kind of uh, give my two cents on what I see uh, in the league and things like that. Um, I've been following the NBA uh, for most of my life. So uh, I just really love the game and I just want to you know connect with other individuals um, who are the same.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, I started this podcast only probably two months ago. Um, I'm a big NBA fan myself, and I find that it's definitely hard to kind of find your niche and differentiate yourself in such a cluttered environment, especially with the NBA, um, given all the action on social media or YouTube. Um, and then I recently joined clubhouse where I first heard you and was enjoying your insights. I think clubhouse is definitely a very interesting environment, um, to get involved. Um, are you a big podcast listener?
1: Yeah. You know, anytime I'm driving or heading anywhere, I like to listen, uh, to what other people think. Uh, there's, you know, the analytics community, there's the people that are in the media, like Zach Lowe, the low post, yep. um, you know, different podcasts that I listen to. I don't, I wouldn't say that I have one podcast, uh, that I stick to only, but I, I kind of just go around and listen to what, you know, everybody has to say ball don't stop. He has a pretty good podcast as well. So yeah, I go around and listen to a couple different guys.
0: Yeah. Zach Lowe is great. I'm a big, uh, I'll listen to the mismatch with the Ringer, Bill Simmons, Rusillo. Um, There's a lot out there, but one. no. What I find interesting about Clubhouse is because I've I've been playing a lot, playing around a little bit with it, and what I find interesting is if you if you raise your hand and are not called on, it can be frustrating because unlike a podcast where you know that you have no ability to get involved or share your opinion on Clubhouse, if someone's making points that you don't necessarily agree with and you've raised your hand but can't join there's kind of this sense of frustration of I would love to counter that and give you my two cents. But I think just because you know you have that chance but can't necessarily get it, that's where some of the frustration comes. But I'm, I'm curious to see um, where Clubhouse goes. I'm sure there will certainly always be a big NBA community there.
1: Yeah, most definitely. You know, you get a chance to actually talk to some former players or people that work, you know, I think some of them work uh, at NBA TV and things like that. So people that are really close to the game and might have you know, access to some doors you don't have. And then you kind of trade, you know, exchanges, everybody thinks a little bit differently there. So it's definitely cool to have, you know, 15 people in a room. And like you said, sometimes you don't actually, you know, you get, you put your hand up, you don't get called on. Um, I guess for me in that NBA clubhouse, the fan club that I've been in, um, I was there kind of from the jump. So they recognize me and always let me in kind of deal. But um, some of the other ones that I've sat and listened to, Yeah, you kind of go in expecting to be a listener, so it can be frustrating if you hear people like spewing out BS that you don't agree with,
0: but yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, it definitely is interesting, but I mean, it's also fun. I mean, it's cool to, first of all, talk to people that you would never be able to interact with. I almost think it's more enjoyable to almost talk to strangers about the NBA where you can kind of get a different opinion than from your friends where you're here and similar opinions. You kind of know where they stand on a lot of um, things NBA-wise. And then also, I mean, it's yeah, it's cool to join a room of seven, eight people. And then before you know it, you're sharing your NBA opinion with over a hundred people, but just to get into the NBA, um, are you a big league pass guy? Uh, I
1: do stream. I don't have league, okay. pass, but I do stream and I do watch, uh, especially now in Seattle, a lot of us are working remotely, you know, yeah. due during, to during the yeah, pandemic. So I've actually had, you know, I already watch a lot of regular season basketball compared to the average fan, but I've had even more time now just cause I'm at home more often. And, you know, I've been watching, you know, the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Houston Rockets, yes. the Washington Wizards, the teams that most people wouldn't pay attention to just because I don't know when there's not much to do. I really love to watch basketball.
0: Yeah, for sure. No, a lot of my because no, I've been I've been home to the past few weeks and sometimes it's difficult to navigate exactly which games you want to watch, uh, trying to watch the end of games rather than the first quarter of a great matchup watching the fourth quarter of um, a less uh, popular matchup. For example, last night, the end of the uh Pelicans Blazers game was a great watch. I mean, any Blazers game right now in, in dame time is pretty much must-watch, but no, it's definitely interesting to try to navigate. And yeah, I mean, there are certain teams that no one pay attention to. I think we'll get to the Thunder later on, but just watching um watching the Blazers game last night against New Orleans, and I, I wanted to pose this question. Or more of a statement, really, if you don't like this player, you don't really like basketball. And the guy that I was going to state was Damian Lillard, just the guy that says all the right things. I heard him say a few days ago, because he never really showed, he never really. he's pretty even keel after all these big shots that he'll hit. And he was saying how his, uh, his dad said, you got to always act like you've been there before. And you really see him embody that. So Dame Lillard is one of those guys where if you're not a fan of what he's doing, then, I mean, you're probably not the biggest fan of the association in general.
1: Yeah, most definitely. I think in today's, uh, you know, player empowerment driven era, uh, we see a lot of guys taking control of their future. And what that really means is if we're not winning right away in a small market team, I'm off to, you know, one of the five or seven bigger markets where I can team up with other stars and, you know, get a chance to compete at the highest level. But Dame is just kind of like a throwback in terms of, you know, I'd say him and Giannis are the two guys right now that are kind of in the lead for committing to small markets and producing at an MVP level. Um, and dame is you know he's pretty vocal about he's not leaving Portland or at least not anytime soon so um, definitely commendable in that in, in that respect and you know the blazers you know I don't know for the last 50 years have been dealing with injuries it feels like yeah. and every year someone's out for them and you know dame keeps them competitive uh, we saw last year in the bubble you know they gave him a shot and they had to you kind of, kind of win a lot of must win games down the stretch I mean they had pretty much 15 straight playoff games if you really think about it and, you know, Dame was going for 50, 60, you know, whatever it takes. So definitely uh, a lot of respect to Dame. And I don't know if you just saw the all-star starters got announced. Yeah, I saw left that Dame off. So. He got
0: robbed. Yeah, I wanted to quickly go over that. Actually, I just saw that that was tweeted. It's a good point to just go over that. I saw that. So for the East just announces Irving, Beal, Giannis, Durant, and Embiid. I was kind of surprised to see Harden left off. I don't know. Do you think he was somewhat penal? Well, first of all, do you think he should have been there over Kyrie? I know Kyrie efficiency wise is having an otherworldly season but you think well I guess so so is Harden realistically he's having career numbers as well but you think Harden was somewhat penalized for the way he pushed himself out of Houston by the voters
1: um so I I thought it was interesting when they put the little graphic up I don't know if you saw this but it was saying how the fans voted how the players voted how the media no, voted this. and for the media the Brooklyn Nets were really uh ranked lower each in each category all three of their players than they were by the players and the fans uh so you know the fans are always going to love those guys especially because you know Kyrie James Harden and Kevin Durant have been you know big, big time players for you know a long time they have that track record their peers respect them but it seems like the media I don't know if it's they don't like that they're all teamed up together or just statistically they look a little bit down but yeah James Harden is playing you know phenomenal basketball you know he's actually shooting 50 40 90 since coming to Brooklyn and that gives them three 50 40 90 players so which is unfair
0: um,
1: yeah exactly (laughs) and and Joe Harris is a better shooter than all of them that makes it even scarier but yeah James Harden on the court I think has been you know phenomenal I think one thing that makes it difficult though is a mid-season conference switch Uh, James Harden joined the east uh you know 10 to 10 I want to say 10 games in so he's only actually played about nine or 10 games in the Eastern conference. So it's hard for fans to just vote him in. He got third across the board from fans, media, and, um, Harden did the media. Yeah. Fans, media, and the players voted him as the third guard. So it's not that he wasn't recognized. He just, you know, fell behind. Bradley Beal got first in all those categories though. So.
0: Finally, I mean, now it's an interesting point you make about the difference between the fans, the players and the media. I wonder if there's, um, a good amount of weight put on game count just because we know that with, with uh, Durant, not his fault. Irving had a situation, you missed a lot of games. Um, so I don't know how much weight's being put into that. I mean, it's, I do think that yes, he got traded mid season. I think that there's probably some reluctance just given the way that he left Houston to maybe make him start. But at the same time, you can't go wrong with, with any of those guys. I mean, it was either Irving or hard Beal was a lock. So it's interesting. And then on the West, you know, you said Dame got robbed. It was Curry, Luka, LeBron, Kawhi, Jokic. Um, I think they the only real question is Dame.
1: Yeah, I think both conferences, the front court was kind of kind of a lock, especially because of AD's injury and, you know, he hasn't been playing up to par, at least to AD standards. So, yeah, the backcourt, I, I saw that right away. I, I saw this coming like two weeks ago. I was like, man, there's three guards putting up, you know, <clears throat> big numbers, But the fan vote has Luka so high and, you know, the Mavericks, for whatever reason, you know, COVID injuries, whatever, they haven't performed to the standard we'd expect from them. And coming into the season, Luka was, you know, being pinned as a potential MVP candidate. Um, That's kind of, you know, that's kind of simmered down in recent weeks because the Mavericks, you know, aren't performing up to par. But, you know, Dame and Steph, you know, their teams are dealing with injuries, too. And, you know, they're playing elite basketball. So. I think Dave and Steph were more deserving, but I, you know, like usual this all-star starters, uh, 50% of that comes down to fan vote. So it is a popularity contest most of the time. So I can see why Dame was left off. I don't necessarily agree with it though.
0: Yeah. Especially when Luca's getting the global vote too, you'd have to imagine that helps, but I mean, well, yeah, I mean, granted, this is, it's also interesting. Cause I was looking at the East and other than deal, I mean, you're just getting the players from the top teams in the conference, um, less so in the West with Luca, I mean, really, it's just it's just Luca. I mean, Curry's obviously has him as an eight or a seven seed right now, and is as we've heard plenty of times, putting up the same numbers he put in his MVP season in 2015. Do you do you think Steph's an actual MVP candidate? I know it's tough given the record, but just the way he's playing. Yeah, it's a, I heard. A, I heard on Clubhouse there was there was a uh, not to interrupt. There was a forum. Where a bunch of people were adamant that he was the MVP. I, I personally don't agree, but I definitely I think there's a case to be had.
1: Okay, so you were actually on that one. I was actually a member uh, of that of that uh, discussion, yeah. and I actually t- you know I gave my two cents, and here's what I said. I said to be an MVP historically, you've got to be on a team that wins 65, preferably 70 percent of the team uh, the games, right? And if you're winning any less than that, you have to do something. So you know something so unprecedented example russell westbrook's mvp season where he averaged a triple double which people didn't think would ever happen you have to do something like that um i like how steph's playing he is playing mvp level basketball but uh oftentimes you know you're supporting cast not playing up to par and you you know going down in the standings will cost you an mvp and you know to keep it consistent we gotta we gotta remember steph curry was handed an mvp in 2015 uh, his and this was before his twenty sixteen campaign, where he you know he took it up another level. But in twenty fifteen, he had you know he had modest stats from an MVP, but his team did so well. I think they won sixty seven games that the best player on the best team narrative won out. And we've seen that with Giannis. We've seen that with James Harden in twenty eighteen, where there might have been guys who were more valuable per se to their teams, but since their teams didn't perform at a high enough level, they weren't. They didn't. They were maybe finalists, but they didn't garner. Uh, real consideration to win it so I think for the sake of consistency which we always ask for as fans we can't flip back and hand a guy MVP that's an eighth or seventh seed considering we've been handing MVPs to the best player on the best team you know for pretty much the last 30 years with the exception of Westbrook you know so I think it's between personally right now I'd say it's between Embiid and LeBron because those guys are playing at high levels and their teams are up there in the standings.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, if Steph's going to win MVP, granted he's obviously putting up great numbers, he'd have to be putting up historic statistics if they're going to be a team that's slightly above 500. I mean, I currently think, I currently think it's LeBron. I've heard the thought of basically ever since he's been in the league, it's LeBron's unless someone else takes it away from him and has some special season, whether it's their team um, having a certain amount of wins or that player putting up, um, insane stats but at the same time I think with the Embiid LeBron argument not to get too hung up on the MVP talk because I think it's overdone a little bit but LeBron is I think there's got to be something there's something that has to be said about the fact that he's played every night and Embiid is often taken off the second night of a back-to-back their team we'll see how the Lakers fare we'll get to this later without AD Lakers are probably in a tougher conference uh, better record so I think unless one of Embiid or Jokic if their teams don't take the leap or if their stats don't become even more otherworldly, then I think it's, it's LeBron's to lose at this point. And, and given what he said to the media at the end of the uh, finals, where he kind of, kind of framed it already for him.
1: Yeah. It feels like LeBron hasn't won an MVP in forever. And I think it's been seven. I want to say it's been eight years, actually, 2013. And yeah, I think here's what I say. If nobody, I, I personally think LeBron may be leading the race, but I don't think anybody has Put themselves so far ahead where nobody could catch up but if it stays this way i think the narrative is kind of going in lebron's favor especially with ad going to be missing a month or two if he keeps the lakers competitive in that you know one two seed range because the utah jazz are playing out of their minds but yeah. if he keeps the lakers up to par with the clippers and the jazz which is you know kind of a tier above everybody else in the west right now if he keeps them in that you know that upper echelon of the western conference yeah i do think it's his mvp to lose uh, partially because Embiid, his main com- competition right now, he misses a lot of games. And I think in the yeah. end, the voters might hold that against Embiid if he sits out 10 to 15 games. And I've, I think I heard a stat today. He's never actually played more than 64 games in a season. So um, we'll have to see if Embiid plays enough to actually you know, qualify for this award.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if Embiid was playing every night or only missing a few games, it's pretty much a toss-up. Watching them last night, I know they almost blew it against Houston, but his – his mid-range game is completely unguardable at this point. And for a guy his size to be shooting 85% from the line, he's he's completely unguardable. So we'll see what happens with the MVP race. But to your point, with LeBron and the Lakers, he's already been playing a concerning amount of minutes for someone his age. We know that LeBron is – you can't compare him to anyone else as far as his um, ability to stay in shape and on the floor. But watching the Lakers, I'm a big LeBron guy, and I'm – while I'm enjoying what he's doing, of course, there's a part of me too that watches these games and says, oh shit, LeBron played 38 minutes tonight. Can he really maintain this for a full, at some point, at some point, there's going to have to be some fatigue. And of course you don't want that to be in May, but at the same time, the Lakers, while we're on them, they probably only really are concerned with what, if they're a 4C, that's probably fine. As long as they have AD at close to hundred percent by May, that's gotta be the goal, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I don't personally think AD should come back until he's a hundred percent healthy, Agreed. fully ready to go. Um, just kind of, you know, what I've been hearing, it sounds a lot like the KD situation where it's there's some confusion whether it's a calf and Achilles, um, you know, what exactly the injury is, and you know, you don't risk AD in terms of AD the investment to the Lakers franchise. You know, he signed a five year deal, and you know, he's probably going to be there post LeBron and um so 80's the franchise player in terms of you know what he's going to mean to the lakers after lebron so um you want 80 to be 100% healthy and i you know i'm in the minority when i say this but i think if 80 has to be shut down for the rest of this season i think you do it if if it sucks to say because lebron you know he's not getting any younger but if 80's going to be playing 60 70% i don't know how you know likely it is you win anyways and you're, then you're just risking you know, his long-term health and then kind of going back to your LeBron point, I think they got to keep his minutes low. So I don't, I don't think their standing the, where they finish in the standings really matters if they have their players. I trust LeBron and the Lakers with AD to win at least one road game anywhere they go. Right. And especially, especially if
0: you're getting uh, what at max 50 at max 50% fans, like the home court is not what it, what it used to be.
1: And I think another point to that is if the Clippers finish at one or two, and you meet them in the Western Conference finals, you're playing at Staples anyways. So you can let them do the work for you, kind of, as long as you take care of your first round opponent, you know, then and maybe the Jazz. But I'm, I'm taking the Lakers in any of those matchups as long as they're 100%. Absolutely. So the first thing you should do is make sure AD's okay and get LeBron's, min- keep LeBron's minutes where they're at. And I mean, credit to Rob Palinka, um, you know, Dennis Schroeder and Mantras Harrell, those pickups are going to matter right now because both of those guys are talented. Scores, you know they're finals for six men of the year um they're gonna up there they're gonna up their scoring i think kuzma will kind of give them a little boost as well maybe markeith morris can be you know back in the rotation so you definitely got some options there uh maybe even taylor horton tucker so there's some capable pieces that they can you know expect to produce more and and that'll help them come playoff time if you know you get the other guys more involved now and ready to go
0: yeah no it is an interesting point i mean we'll see also i don't know really what move they have to make unless it's a buyout but we'll see if they try to make a move just to ease LeBron's workload a little bit. I do agree. Schroeder is certainly a guy we saw this in OKC that can, that can take the load offensively. It's an interesting point though. You made about uh, sitting down AD if he can't play for the rest of the season. I understand that long-term. I just think, and not that you're wrong. I just think that it's any, this is another year, right? Where we feel like LeBron amazingly. So he's still in his prime, right? And it's tough. I think it's tough for the Lakers front office for any of the players involved to kind of just kind of, I mean, not that it's a waste season, but realistically, they're not winning a championship without AD. I think we can all agree on that. Richard Jefferson's been saying, I agree with him. This whole NBA season kind of weighs on AD's health because if the Lakers are fully healthy, we think at least I think they're the best team in the league, maybe the Nets. Um. That's another point I wanted to get to while we're on that. Let's move on to the Nets. Um, I think when they first made these moves, there's people that still felt, or maybe probably still do feel like Philly and Milwaukee are still the two best teams in the East. I think that's crazy. I think that if, I think if you get a seven game series versus a healthy Brooklyn team, this is the best team in the East. I think there's no doubt.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I actually agree. I think, Well, I think part of the question marks about the Nets is are Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni going to be able to make the adjustments? You got one guy who's a rookie coach and you got another guy who's been, you know, flamed in the past for kind of just standing pat and letting things, you know, change under him. So I think those questions might be, you know, there might be some merit to them. But one thing I will say is Mike D'Antoni and, well, Steve Nash and Mike D'Antoni in their previous, you know, experiences have never had this talent to put into this system so what they're doing is you know putting you know three of the best shot creators in the nba as we alluded to earlier 50 40 90 all of them got joe harris you got jeff green who's playing you know this guy doesn't age it feels like he's now jeff
0: green every once in a while puts on a like puts up a poster where you're like where the hell did that come from
1: yeah he catches bodies on a nightly (laughs) basis and he's shooting the ball well too and uh they just have so many weapons and i think you know, if, they, if they're if they creative in the buyout market and they get a JaVale McGee or an Andre Drummond or someone that just gives them, you know, some rebounding, some size, that's what I think they're missing. Um, I, don't, I don't see any of the teams in the East competing with them. Um, it's just hard to guard, you know, three guys that can score from all three levels and get their shot at any time. And I don't even think there's a team in the East that has two guys like that, let alone three. So, and we saw how great, you know, they were missing KD and Kyrie. And th- this is what... Other teams don't have the luxury of, you're missing two of your best players. James Harden and Jeff Green are running high pick and roll all game, and the Suns can't even figure that out. And the that was Suns one of the are, best you know, games of the season. The Suns, yeah, that was a great game. The <laughs> Suns are one of the better teams in the conference on a six game winning streak, and they're having trouble with Jeff Green, James Harden, and, you know, three role players. Now imagine if you put KD and Kyrie in that. It's just it's just crazy to think about. Their offense is already what the best in league history, I heard, or they're at they were at some point, and they're probably only going to get better. So if they're able to make the you know the minor moves and get those pieces they need, I got a lot of question marks about Philly, Boston, and Milwaukee, um, who are considered their three biggest competitors.
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing too. Those teams also just have major flaws. But with the Nets, obviously they have KD, uh, KD, Kyrie, and Harden. But I think. Well, I think some what some people are forgetting is Kevin Durant. I mean, he looks when he's on the floor, he's looked healthy. If he can play, if he's a hundred percent in the playoffs, the same way he's been when he's on the floor and he's out there every night, this guy is clearly the, in my opinion, the best player in the conference, arguably the best player in the NBA. So he, even if there are mishaps with the nets defensively, I think that we're going to realize in the postseason, wait a minute—they have Kevin Durant, and this guy is completely unstoppable. And I think that people have sort of forgot that he's been out a little bit. But Durant, when he left this game before uh, before the Achilles injury, everyone thought he was the most people thought he was the best player in this league. And fortunately for NBA fans, since he's came back, when he's on the floor, it doesn't really look any different, which is which is enjoyable for us. So I I think the Nets. I think maybe a guy like Thaddeus Young would also help them out. Um, we'll see if they can acquire somebody, but yeah, I mean, as we mentioned with the Sixers and the Bucks, those are two teams that haven't been able to figure out closing time in the past several years. Do you think they'll be able to solve that? Do you think they should, do you think with Milwaukee, they should be going to Middleton and holiday in those closing minutes and maybe have Giannis more so um, in the dunker spot playing as a center? Or do you think they, do you think they're going to continue to just go to Giannis and have for example, against the Jazz with that mid-range jumper he took, I think Budenholzer at some point has to make an adjustment, and he hasn't, it. and it's frustrating.
1: You know, you know, those are great questions. Um, you know, that's why you pay those guys the big bucks to answer those. <laughs> what, I, what I'll say is, in Milwaukee, so Milwaukee and Philly, there's two things about those teams that I would change. With Milwaukee, yes, I do want Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton to be involved more down the stretch, but I just want those guys to have the ball on the perimeter more in general. I think with Giannis, you know, I was talking about this, you know, on Clubhouse as well. Uh, Gian, the topic of Giannis and what he needs to improve on came, came up. And everyone's saying he needs a three-point shot. He needs a three-point shot. And I'm like, you know, that's just not realistic. We've been saying that for three years. But one thing Giannis can do is instead of catching the ball 30 feet away from the hoop and trying to run through guys and that whole wall, why not just get a, you know, a good set of post moves, get a back to the basket game, get a face-up game where you're catching the ball, you know, five to seven feet away. And that way, if the defense collapses already, now it's easier to kind of see your kickouts, make your reads. And, you know, if the Bucs just play the regular season the same way they've been playing the playoff, in the playoffs, you know, it's just, it's insanity. You know, you're doing the same thing, expecting a different result. So if I'm the Bucs, I'm certainly looking to use the regular season as kind of practice time to play different styles because you're going to see the same exact thing like it's not rocket science everybody knows if Giannis has the ball up top we're loading up and we're daring the others to beat us but if you put Giannis in different spots get him underneath the defense you know get him on the block get him catching it down low you're gonna put the defense in really tough spots because he's still a great finisher with or without a running start so
0: yeah no uh, I, I totally agree I mean he's assessment. We know he's not a great free throw shooter, but he's shooting 70% from the line. It's good enough if he's a guy that can get to the line double-digit times a game, which would be an easy feat for him if he's in the post. I also just think that they often underutilize Middleton. I saw two nights ago, I think he took, or maybe it was last night, he took like seven shots. And he's another guy that's putting up career numbers. I think he's got to be utilized more. He's gotten better every single season. Um, I mean, hopefully a guy like Drew, I think a guy like Drew Holiday will help them a little bit in late minutes and obviously will help them defensively. But I agree with you. If they continue to go with the same strategy, we're going to see the teams build the wall and we're going to see the same upsetting situation with Giannis where he either can't get past the second round or, or gets embarrassed in the conference final. So we'll see there. Um, I wanted to ask you, you, you mentioned the jazz. You think, I know they, they have the best record in the league right now. They've impressively been continuing the streak without Conley was the sore Achilles, which is a bit a bit concerning too. You think the Jazz are for real? You think that a fully healthy Jazz unit could give either of the LA teams, specifically the Lakers, a real series in the playoffs?
1: Yeah. So the Jazz, you know, the Jazz are interesting because we can't dismiss them anymore. You know, twenty out of twenty-one wins. You know, that's big time, and they've been you know they've been winning these games decisively as yeah, well. Yeah, I saw
0: they were nineteen and one against the spread in their last twenty, which is absolutely ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I saw that too. And 16 of those wins were double digit wins. So, you know, the jazz, you know, they're playing, you know, phenomenal basketball, both ends of the floor. You know, I think they're top five on in offensive and defensive efficiency. Um, They're the best three point shooting team in the NBA. And, you know, you got two rim protectors. So you've got a full 48 minutes of rim protection. You know Mike Conley playing like the Mike Conley we expected him to play like last year. That's a big reason why they're back. I think Bogdanovich was out in the postseason. People kind of forgot about him. Joe Ingles gives them another secondary creator, and Royce O'Neill's You know he's a very good you know perimeter defender, and he's knocking down his shots. Um, the two things I do have question marks about the Jazz, uh, specifically about matching up with the Lakers. I don't know who's going to guard LeBron on that roster, right? If AD's back, the Jazz have already had trouble with AD. You know, as good as Gobert is, AD has been, you know, he's a matchup problem for everybody. But still, Gobert hasn't experienced much success uh, head-to-head against AD. And yeah, then with Jokic LeBron,
0: ate him up, too.
1: Yeah, good point. And with LeBron, you know, LeBron's 6'9", 250. You know, Royce O'Neal, you know, is only 6'4". So I, I don't like that matchup if I'm the Jazz. So if I'm the Jazz, the first piece I'm looking to add is kind of one of those bigger wings Um, You saw it in that conference final series. Jeremy Grant was kind of able to switch back and forth between LeBron and AD. Um, They need somebody, you know, you're not going to find Jeremy Grant at this time of the season, but you need somebody similarly built like that where you have, you know, the matchup, the size and athleticism to kind of at least try to slow him down. Um, That's my biggest question mark for the Jazz. Um, As it pertains to just them playing, I don't know how much of this hot shooting they can sustain. And when that kind of slows down, My question is, you know, who's going to, you know, I like Donovan Mitchell. He's, you know, he's a very talented player. I think he can create in those tough situations. Your second guy is looking maybe to be Jordan Clarkson. So that, I think that's the main question mark with everyone. Do we trust these guys in a tight situation?
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say is that they don't really have that second guy that you can fully trust in a playoff series. I think almost in an ideal situation, I mean, Mitchell's still young, but I think on a championship team, he might be your. 1b type of guy offensively um but no i mean it'll be interesting too to see if any of these teams at the top of these conferences make a make a move that makes a real difference um i don't know who's out there i mean you never really know until you hear about it. i mean there's guys this is probably unrealistic but there's guys like lou dort that would make a huge impact on any playoff team but again we don't know what mode the thunder are going to be in we don't know if guys like Levine will be traded. I mean, Beal, it seems like he won't. I don't, I don't understand what Washington is doing there. But I mean, before, by, the, by the deadline in March, some of these teams could look drastically different. So it'll be interesting. I think we've seen with Milwaukee back-to-back seasons taking care of the one seed in the East and it not really meaning much. I kind of feel like that may be the case with the Jazz if they do grab the one seed. Uh, We'll see, though. I wanted to get to, uh, I know you said you were watching the Thunder a good amount. And I know they've lost a bunch of close games recently. But I think that a guy like Mike Dagnall, their first-year head coach, who was an assistant there, isn't really getting the attention or the credit that he deserves. I mean, this is a team that people thought overachieved last year, which I guess they did. But they also had a Hall of Famer running the show. And now, for the most part, other than Horford and George Hill's been out pretty much all season. It's all young guys, and I think a guy like SGA, too, who may be deserving an all-star spot. This is an exciting team. I personally hope they keep this core together of um, Diallo and SGA and Baisley and Dort and kind of build through the draft. But they have so many assets. I think it's going to be interesting to see what they do at the break.
1: Yeah, I think think Oklahoma City is going to build through the draft, just like we were talking about earlier. Yeah, I mean, they have all the the picks in the world. Yeah, the small market teams always have – you know they're they're always going to have trouble getting you know star players or players with star potential, you know any other way. You're not no one's going to really sign there, and you know you can make a trade, but I think they're going to try to build you know infrastructure and an environment that allows these guys to grow together. That way, you know, similar to what they did you know back in two thousand seven, eight, and nine, where they got you know somehow drafted three MVPs in a row. But um, if anything, you know, Oklahoma City has proven they, you know, they can draft, they can draft well. And I saw something today where they, I think they're slotted to have four or five first round picks in this upcoming draft, potentially ranging from pick six through 25. So, you know, they definitely have some selections that they can use Um, to touch on what you said earlier. I don't think Lou Dort's going anywhere. I think they know his value Um, SGA, you know, he's a budding star. So they have some pieces in play. I like Darius Baisley as well um, that, you know, dino getting hired you know he's an internal hire so i feel like he knows you know these guys so well and that's why he's able to put these guys in such successful spots um, i'm blanking on the point guard's name uh, maladon. I, Oh, maladon oh maladon
0: yeah he's played some yeah, good spot minutes when FGA's i like him out.
1: i like him too yeah so they definitely have you know a collection of young pieces and, and even though kenrich
0: so, williams has played some good minutes all those guys
1: yeah you know when and, you play uh, free when you play free and without <laughs> pressure there's no expectations for them um, that's what happens. And I think this group in particular, where I like them so much is they actually have got a taste of playoff basketball. You know, some of those guys played in a tough, grueling seven game series. And I think what people, most people don't realize is a rebuilding process usually doesn't move this fast. You know, you look at the Minnesota Timberwolves, they're still terrible. And I think the Oklahoma city thunder have a younger, I'd say less talented roster at the moment, but they're, I think they're ascending at a better rate. So that's a credit to the coaching staff, you know, the organization. And, you know, there are not many teams that are, you know, positioned as well as they are. They have the young players and assets and the flexibility um, to be a real, real, you know, scary team. in I think the second half of this decade, you know, 2025 yeah, I mean, and on it's a long ways from now, but they'll be really good in that, in that time span.
0: Yeah. I mean, I hope so. I mean, the, as you mentioned, the Timberwolves are a disaster, but another thing I find interesting and it applies to the Thunder is These players just so quickly taking the leap. I mean, watching in the bubble with the Thunder, it looked like SGA was a bit timid in those playoff games against Houston, uh, was kind of hesitant to take his shot, was really a third option that wasn't really ready for it. And now, start of the season, he has some of the best clutch numbers in the league right now. Totally took that jump in, what, the span of a two-month offseason? I don't know how much of it is just his usage and confidence, but it's insane And he's not the only example, just how much better these guys can get over a short period of time. Um, And he's one of those guys that I've noticed. I mean, he he looks, as you mentioned, like he's a future superstar in this league.
1: Yeah, I like SGA a lot. And I think last year's playoffs, I saw, you know, he was a little physically overmatched. That Houston team last year, those guys were all built like linebackers and it felt like, you know, they were just targeting him in pick and roll and trying to you know just run through him he has a bit of a slight frame but from a skill set perspective and you know the guys he's been able to play with his first two years i mean he actually was in the playoffs the year before too in los angeles um playing on that overachieving clippers as pat bev yeah lou will you know he he got to play you know arguably one of the greatest teams ever and he got to do so with a lot of vets in la uh, under the tutelage of doc rivers so Um, I think he took a lot of his experiences from that season and this past season with Chris Paul as his mentor. So I think SGA is, you know, a very, very seasoned young player. And I think that that bodes well for him being the leader of this, of this young group going forward. He's seen a lot for your average 21 year old NBA player.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, he got to witness uh, Durant, put up those 50 point games and that when they took him to six games, they had no right doing that. I mean, yeah, he's been on back-to-back teams that have extended series where they had no right going six or seven games. I wanted to move on to the Pelicans. That's a team that I've been watching a lot. Um, early on in the season, I was criticizing Zion for his defense. And while he's still struggling there, his offensive game, I mean, there's so much pressure on Zion overall, but just watching him recently, the guy could score whenever he wants. Last night at the end of the game, he was getting to the rim at will. He was hitting, he hit all of his clutch free throws. So I think, A lot of us, I don't want to say are taking it for granted because at Duke, we saw what he could do defensively and what he can do rebounding wise. And we're not really seeing that yet, but at the same time, I mean, this guy's putting up pretty historic offensive numbers, especially from an efficiency standpoint. Have you been, what do you think of Zion so far?
1: Yeah, I think Zion, what's so interesting about Zion is he looks nothing like the players that are taking over in the NBA right now. We see so many guys six, seven through six, nine that are shooting threes, you know, they're switchable long and like lengthy Uh, Zion's an absolute force because he combines, you know, sheer size with, you know, nimble quick movements and just explosive athleticism. Uh, Zion's an unstoppable force, especially in the paint. I think the other night uh, they were playing Memphis and they gave him one forty four, And a lot of that had to do with Zion's gravity. You know, they were having a ball screen with JJ Redick on the wing and it would just, you know, the unwillingness to leave Reddick, you know, who's the team's best shooter, totally collapsed the defense just because Zion would get into the key. And if he gets a full head of steam, there's no stopping him. You know, he catches the ball down low, there's no stopping him. So I like how uh, Van Gundy's utilizing him in that respect. Um, if on the Pelicans going forward, though, you know, my one critique of the team um, is you got to modernize your approach a little more. I don't like that the team starts so many poor outside shooters in one lineup for Zion to fully, you know, maximize his potential. You see what they did with Giannis. They put four guys, you know, Brooke Lopez is chucking 30 footers to make space for him. You need to do that for Zion. I don't like the Eric Bledsoe Lonzo ball backcourt with Steven Adams underneath. It's just, you're not letting Zion, you know, you're not maximizing Zion in that situation, but you know, if they address that personnel, I think Zion. This this might be a take that not many people have said, but I think Zion could be a future scoring champion. Like a, he can win a scoring title just off of sheer domination, much like you know Shaq in the early 2000s, because there's just nobody that can stop him.
0: Yeah, I mean he's. That's an interesting take. I mean he's. I agree with you on the spacing too. I mean he's averaging 24 a night. I'd be curious to see how many shots he's taking each night. I would. I would imagine that it's pretty low compared to other guys averaging near that amount per game. But yeah, I agree with you too because. They're starting Steven Adams, which I understand. I think we've kind of learned that Zion at this point in his career, at least, is not really a viable guy to be to be your anchor on defense or be covering other big men yet. But at the same time, I think they're best off. And I'm not saying it's easy to find a center similar to Brooke Lopez and a guy that could defend but also stretch the floor, because when Steven Adams is in there, there's no space in the paint. So I don't understand that fit. And yeah, even though uh, Bletso is shooting, I think he's shooting 40% from three. And those, those have got to all be wide open threes because his career would tell us he's not a good three-point shooter. I know Lonzo's picked it up recently, but I know. I agree. I don't think they're utilizing him the best way they can. But it is scary, too, to think, like, what happens when this guy develops a right hand, develops some more advanced post moves, increases at the line? I mean, he is so raw. And I think that all of us kind of expected him to come in a league and dominate. So we're taking this for granted because people still want to complain that he needs to lose 20 pounds. And I may be one of those people sometimes. Cause I think that that would suit him um, more so defensively. Cause he still, as you mentioned, has that first step. It's almost like Harden, who a lot of people think is out of shape Harden, as we saw against Phoenix. And we've seen his whole career can get by anybody whenever he wants. So um, it'll be interesting to see Zion. I'm also a big Brandon Ingram fan and, there's people that don't think that him and Zion are necessarily the best fit together. Um, Do you think the two of them have a future together? You think that there's maybe a better co-pilot for Zion?
1: I mean, personally, I'm not giving up on Brandon Ingram. Yeah, no way. You know, there's a short list of guys under the age of like 25 that are as good at shot creating as Brandon Ingram. You know, you're looking at maybe Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. Like he's right. If he's not that level, he's the next thing to it. So, you know, those guys, you know, those guys are hot commodities in the NBA. So if the Pelicans were to put Brandon Ingram, you know, on the table, there's going to be a high asking price that would come with that. But personally, if there's, you know, if there's a chance to work with Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, they're so young and raw, like you said, you know, you can improve, you know, with attention to detail and a feel for the game, these guys will be able to play next to each other. I think what you should focus on is what you put around them. As you mentioned, you know, Steven Adams is, you know, he's a bruiser. But you know, maybe can you maybe get Nikola Vucevic from the Orlando Magic, a guy like that who maybe you know slides in, fits a little bit nicer, uh, gives those guys some space to operate. Because Brandon Ingram, he has improved his three ball a lot. Yeah. Um, but I think ideally in a starting five, you don't want Brandon Ingram as your your best three point shooter because I like Brandon Ingram kind of getting in between the seams, you know, getting through tight spaces, giving me some you know mid range shots, getting to the rim using his length. So for even for Brandon Ingram. I want him to have all the space in the world to slash. So I think it would be a crime to give up on those two as a pairing before you kind of got all the right pieces around them. So uh, I would definitely not touch that. I think they have their two franchise cornerstones, if you were to ask me. And I'm interested to see the progression of Kira Lewis Jr. Because yeah, I like play.
0: him. I like him a lot.
1: He's a really good athlete. Um, if he's able to pick his game up, you know, it sounds like Lonzo Ball is becoming expendable. So we'll
0: see. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you next. Cause yeah, it sounds like Lonzo's on the market. And one of my first thoughts when I saw that is, will we see Lewis get more time or even a guy like Nikhil Alexander Walker, who couldn't get off the bench last year, has had some good games. They have so much young talent. I mean, recently Reddick's gotten more play. I think to your point, cause he does play well with his eye on the dribble handoff game too, but at the same time, yeah, they almost have, they have too many riches in the uh, with their point guards and Lonzo I think he can be an asset in certain places like Chicago, who we've heard is a suitor, who doesn't really have a guy that can run the offense. I don't think Kobe White's really that guy. I think he's more of a score first guard, but I don't know. I mean, I want to see what the Pelicans do. It's obviously early, but at the same time, you don't want to sit back and be too patient with this window. You have two great offensive players. The concern though is the defense. I think that's kind of why they're trying to surround him with guys like Bledsoe. Adams and ball who are considered good defenders, but watching the thunder, I mean, sorry, watching the Pelicans, they give up wide open threes on basically every possession defensively, which is frustrating because they're one of the better offenses in the league too. So we'll see what happens there. I wanted to ask you a, uh, on a separate note, there's been a lot of different, uh, national broadcast crews this year, just given the remote broadcasting, um, ability to pair different people. I've been a firm believer for the past few years that I think the finals group of Breen Van Gundy and Mark Jackson, I think Mark Jackson is a little past his heyday. I don't know if you're in the same belief as that. Um, What Well, yeah, first of all, what do you think of that? Are you pleased with the, with the finals crew we get with ESPN and ABC? You
1: know, I don't mind them just because I've grown (laughs) up listening to those guys. Yeah. I used to
0: love Mark Jackson. I just find that he's lost it a little bit.
1: Yeah. For the past, you know, over a decade, I've been listening to those guys. So you know, I don't have a problem if I were to hear him again this year, but there are definitely some, you know, some younger, uh, you know, even former players now, kind of like Richard Jefferson. That are, I love Richard Jefferson. They, yeah. they bring, you know, they bring a, a player's perspective that Mark Jackson has with, you know, they're a little more comedic, you know, they can make you laugh. And, you know, you kind of relate better to those type of guys that you kind of saw, you know, in the mid 2000s. So uh, there's definitely some options if they were to try to switch that up. I don't want Mike Green to leave, though. I like no, Mike Breen. Mike, Green, Mike is. is the best. Yeah, keep Mike Breen. <laughs> um, and I, I really like the TNT crew at halftime. I don't like the TNT the TNT commentators as much, but I like the halftime crew. So ideally, maybe a blend of all of that. But you know, that'd be asking a lot of people to switch roles. But I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's the finals, so anything's possible.
0: Yeah, I'm a big Doris Burke fan too. Um, But yeah, no, well, you mentioned the TNT halftime crew. Um, Obviously, they're not afraid to uh, say how they speak, speak their mind, really. I was listening to Barkley recently on a podcast. And Barkley is one of those guys that's basically anti three. Thinks All these big men need to spend the whole game in the post. What do you think? I mean, I I assume you saw when Shaq was uh, giving Donovan Mitchell shit. Um, and then they had their thoughts on the Draymond situation. I don't know if we want to go down that path, but maybe we can, did you have any initial thoughts on what Draymond had to say about the player movement, um, and kind of addressing these disappointing situations overall?
1: Yeah, I, I would, that's specifically what I was going back and forth with Brendan Haywood on, um, there, you know, there's a double standard. It's no secret to, you know, players and, or, and how organizations are treated um, when they elect to, you know, walk out of a situation that they don't think is ideal anymore, um, and oftentimes, you know, players are vilified, organizations. It's just doing business, and they're doing what's best for them. So, you know, that double standard exists. What I will say in in Draymond's, you know, in Draymond's examples that he was listing out, I don't think this Andre Drummond situation was, you know, the best example he could have used because a lot of people are like, hey, you know, the Pistons or sorry, the Cavaliers are being brutally honest, you know, they're going forward with Jared Allen. They're not, you know, they're not sugarcoating it to Andre Drummond. They're letting him know, hey, we're going with a younger guy. We're we're going to work with you to find a new home for you. Uh, And I think it's best, you know, I I think personally they should have just let Andre Drummond go home. I don't think he should have been coming out, you know, in his uniform and then going back in and then coming back out in street clothes. That just looks weird. And I think that's what (laughs) ticked Draymond off. Because, you know, if a player did that, you know, imagine if James Harden was like, hey, I'm healthy, but I'm coming with my street clothes just to watch you guys as you guys work on the trade for me. You know, it'd be like, who the hell is this guy? So there's definitely a double standard that exists. I think what I will say is that the issue lies more with the media and how they, you know, paint these guys out. Um, You know, we know that nobody's going to click on an article that is all about the owners, right? What gets clicks and, you know, what sells is – stories about the players because that's who we you know ultimately watch that's what we care about so um you know getting a villain making sure that somebody you know gets you know the short end of the stick is what people like to see they like their tea so um we kind of always know how how this plays out but i think that's what kind of leads to these players not wanting to talk to the media being short with them or you know uh skipping their press conferences altogether so it's definitely you know a bit of a struggle
0: yeah no, I think those are all good points. I think I respect what Draymond said, and I enjoyed watching um, him share his feelings. I just think, simply put, in like a brief way, I just think that there's no there's no real good way to convey this information to the player. There's no great way to go about it. I mean, we know it's business. Business is first, so I understand Draymond's uh, his stance. I think, as you mentioned, every situation is kind of its is handled differently and is kind of its own. Analysis: None of these situations can really be grouped together. Um, so I think that we have to look at everything separately. Of course, the Drummond situation is a bit bizarre. The Harden situation, I think that's totally separate too. So every situation is different, but I'm, I'm happy that a guy like Draymond is at least um, happy to share his feelings and his thoughts on the topic overall. Um, I wanted to just close this out in a few more topics just around the NBA. Watching the heat last night, the lead against golden state are you are we concerned about the heat at all or you think that they just sneak into that playing game because at the same time i mean the lakers they played in that same finals they had the same turnaround they have the second best record in the league they're an older team why is miami still hung over
1: yeah <laughs> a, lot, a lot of people are now questioning the legitimacy of both the miami heat and the bubble altogether
0: i'm just um, shocked I, not interrupt the only, last thing i want to say too before I'm just shocked too, because this is a team led by Spolster and Butler who we view as two of the best leaders in this league. So that's what makes this even more surprising.
1: Yeah. What I will say to that is, you know, I was watching a Miami heat game and I think they won this one against the Rockets and some guy I never heard of went for like 21 yeah. points. <laughs> yeah,
0: I and know I what was you're like, talking about. And I've no yeah. idea that his name
1: is, and I was like, man, it's really came to this where they have guys that, you know, even I don't know on the floor. Um, but To be fair, Jimmy Butler did miss a lot of time and this, you know, the heat, much like the Mavericks, you know, they were decimated by COVID and, you know, injuries and things like that. You know, Bams missed some time. Tyler's missed some time. Duncan, uh, Duncan Robinson's missed some time. So they haven't been hundred percent healthy, but what I will say is that they've still been underperforming. Um, Yeah. I, I think 71 days off from, you know, the NBA finals to the tip off of the next season is very short. Um, and it was obviously, it was honestly shorter than that because they had to go back to training camp and, you know, preseason games even before that. So really you're looking at, you know, less than two months of rest. So I can understand the slow start, but I think in this next five to 10 games, if they don't start to turn things around, that's when it gets really concerning, especially because this season's only 72 games. And, you know, I don't want to question the credentials of Spo and, you know, the heat culture, but. You know, a lot of Heat fans were adamant about not needing to make a trade, not needing guys. You know, Tyler Tyler Hero, Hero. Tyler Hero isn't worth moving on from things like that. So what I'm going to say to that is then we need the results now because, you know, a guy like James Harden or, you know, potentially Bradley Beal, if those guys were made available, those guys actually fit Jimmy Butler's timeline a lot better because Jimmy Butler's, you know, he's thirty one. Uh, And he's an old 31, the way Thibodeau used him in, you know, in his younger days. Yeah.
0: Randall's going to last till he's 28.
1: (laughs) Exactly. So if I say five to 10 games, see what the heat can do. If they get on a little winning streak, because remember 10 teams get in this year with the play in Um, the heat are a dangerous nine or 10 seed that are experienced that I would actually probably take over, you know, the Knicks or the Hawks or one of those younger inexperienced teams, but um, if the heat don't, you know, turn things around, I don't see them being too much of a threat this in this year's playoffs. I don't see them getting past, you know, even the first round, if they're, you know, matched up with a Sixers or a Brooklyn right off the bat.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. But at the same time, you could totally see them upsetting like, a three or a four seed and then playing the same ball. But yeah, no, the guy that we were meant, we were thinking of was Max Strus, who put up, <laughs> I saw that same situation, never heard of the guy and was carrying the heat to a win. Um, But no, I appreciate you coming on. This was great. Um, Obviously, a lot more exciting storylines heading into the NBA season, for sure. But no, thanks for coming on. This was awesome.
1: Yeah, man. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely.